for our season three episodes here. You can watch video unedited for the episode you're about to hear. Look to the link for the video on the post associated with this episode at philosophyimprov.com. This episode is sponsored by Fact of Meals, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. My name is Bill Arnett, an improv prince, yet a philosophical explorer. This is Mark Lintenmeyer simulating a lifelong interest in philosophy and starting a simulation, a very local simulation of learning a little bit of improv. And we have with us a man who needs no introduction, but introduce yourself for the, so people can hear your voice. <laughs> I'm David Chalmers. I'm a professor of philosophy and director of the Center for Mind, Brain, and Consciousness at New York University. We reached out to you in light of your new book, Reality Plus, which is, besides talking about current things in virtual reality and ethical and epistemological issues with those, I think serves as an entire introduction to metaphysics, that you go through just about every possible metaphysical view and then relate them to virtual environments. I intended it as an introduction to philosophy, actually, ah. both an original contribution to philosophy and a way of introducing to people about, yeah, issues about reality. That's metaphysics, but also issues about knowledge sure. and skepticism. That's epistemology. Issues about the mind uh, and issues about value. They all come up. If you think about virtual reality and simulations, there's just no getting away from some of the most traditional issues in philosophy. So this is just a great nexus. Traditional philosophy, modern technology, both at the same time. Yeah, I just saw that the Writers Guild uh, may have finally settled a contract, but I know a big thing with them was this whole notion of artificially produced material. Is it artificially produced? When does it quit being artificially produced? Does a computer just hand it off to a writer who puts a name on the bottom? Do they get credit all of a sudden? Does the program Who gets credit when a machine produces something that is, to all intents and purposes, real? When I'm using a machine, I like to say I get the credit, but when the machine <laughs> yeah. starts doing most of the work, maybe it gets the credit, and I'm just the add-on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. One of the many issues raised is this extended view of the mind is, is when we have tools, do they essentially become part of our minds in some useful way of saying that? That just like if you're using any kind of tool, a hammer, it feels like an extension of you. You're not focusing on it. You're focusing on the thing that you're hammering. So likewise, the fact that we have smartphones means that we have some of our memories externalized. Even a notebook you point out is memory externalized. And you can maybe, I think going to the point of part of my creative process is I type in the summary and it spits out the full half hour length script. That seems a stretch to, oh, it's part of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> if it's just autocomplete, if it's completing your sentences, maybe based on information it already had that you had given it, you know, some phone numbers. Sure, that's fine. That's part of my mind. That's an extension. If I just put in, please write a uh, 20-page essay on Aristotle and it does it for me, is that just an extension of my mind? I'm imagining my students saying, yeah, I ChatGPT <laughs> didn't write the paper. I wrote it with my extended mind. But at a certain <laughs> point, that starts to a uh, bigger plausibility. <laughs> I suppose it depends on how well-trained it is on your creativity specifically, mm -hmm. that if you are a voluminous writer already and you're just using this as a repository for every little bit of note-taking, then say, sum up what I would say 
about this issue might just be a helpful thing, like a spell checker, because it's all stuff that was in your mind at some point and is, you know, probably if the machine is working correctly in your style, even it would feel like you. Exactly. Uh, some philosophers, Eric Schwitzgabel and Anna Strasser, currently trying to train an AI system, a language model on everything I've ever written. Um, ah. So people know <laughs> which is me and which is the model. But I'm thinking once all this is done, sure, I can use this as a tool. I'm writing a paper. If it wants to complete a paragraph in my style because I'm a little bit predictable, that's okay. I'll take credit. But yeah, if it was trained on somebody else entirely, if it was like trained on Plato and I take the credit, not so clear. Yeah, I guess Stephen King could just put have an AI that just only knows his material and his work. Maybe, maybe he already that does what, that. <laughs> well, that's just it. Is Maybe he is his own AI. Although a perhaps- lot of people are going to be a lot more productive very quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, but the quality of television is just going to drop. It's just going to plummet. <laughs> I mean, yeah. good. Bye-bye, young Sheldon. You know, the, the, <laughs> the halcyon days of canned sitcoms are over once AI... The AI writers right now are unsophisticated. AI writers next year will be better than the ones this year. Maybe the AI writers we'll have in 10 years will be amazing literary geniuses. Far beyond anything we have right now. (laughs) Yeah, we worry about from generation to generation. You know, oh, think of all the culture. And now young people don't learn philosophy, for instance, at least in America. But potentially with these aids, we could forestall. Or I guess the counter argument is... It will rapidly, by outsourcing to this extent, yes, we make ourselves very, very stupid. Without the extension, we're stupid. With the extension, we're smart. It's like, you know, once writing came along, Plato was complaining, Socrates was complaining, and Phaedrus, that now everyone, no one can remember anymore because they just write things down. Without writing, we remember less. But with writing, we remember much more. So I take the view that writing has actually been a good thing and that maybe some of this technology can be a good thing because it actually extends our capacities. It's that kind of kids these days argument that people are always making. And back in the 20s, it's oh, kids these days with their flapper dresses and straw hats doing the Charleston. Every generation talks about the kids these days. So therefore, maybe none of them are of any. <laughs> yeah, All right. Kids these days riding their bikes everywhere. No one can walk like they used to, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Kids these days with their horseless carriages. All right, so the difference between this and the Partially Examined Life that you were on before or one of the interview shows you'd probably normally do, besides the fact that we're generally free-forming here, but that should point at the direction of... So Bill had some improv-related lesson to come in. I didn't have to come in with a philosophy one because you had a whole book that I listened to (laughs) at very fast speed to get ready for today. And so (laughs) I have a bunch of things I can ask you. 1.5, 1.5 times, two times, three times. It started at 1.5 to get through the last little bit. It went up to 2.5. So I'm I'm not sure how well that sunk in. (laughs) It could have fooled me because the fellow reading it had a very similar voice. You know, at least he had an Australian accent. He got an Australian actor to read the ebook, Grant Cartwright. I gather he's quite good. Yes. Occasionally he would say, he would refer to like Thomas Nagel or something that would, okay, nope, that's an AI. That's a. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, at the end of this, you will be asked as the guest to decide whether the philosophy lesson or the improv lesson has been more profound and thus decide the winner of this, which is 
ironic given that you're, of course, bringing in the entire philosophy lesson. But <laughs> fairness is not so much an issue here as just the gamification needlessly. Well, let me say I have less an improv lesson, more an improv reflection. Okay. All right. If that makes sense. Uh, something that we can chat about after, after we do our, our scenes and do a little improv things. Uh, now I know, Mark, you had some ideas about I, some I actually, I'm going to use my power as a, a master of the Zoom call and I'm going to change the names that are up here. So now <laughs> we've got, uh, Bill is Glaucon and, uh, oh boy. Uh, David is, is Socrates and I'm going to do, I'm forgetting if it's Thrasymachus is with an S. It is with an S. Does this mean I have to be really annoying and I can only ask questions? <laughs> well, now we have entered the, the realm of challenging you out of your comfort zone. Socrates, I was, I was here with my, uh, my friend here and he was saying that, uh, we're all in a simulation. And I think that's bullshit that the only simulation is just that, uh, you know, the leaders of the country are, are constantly trying to screw him, but it's not the gods trying to screw him. Can you just do your little uh, questiony thing, Socrates, and uh, convince him he's a dumbass or whatever, however you want to do this? How could you tell, my dear Glaucon, that we're not in the simulation? Uh, yeah, he just told me to come with him. Why am I here again? You're either arguing that you're in a simulation or not in a simulation, whatever you like. Okay. Uh are we in a simulation? Does that change things for me if we're not in a simulation? It might look exactly the same. You know, those people in the Matrix, they just go out living their lives, getting okay. Well, I mean, just like, you know, the king has like, you know, kind of raised some taxes and things. I think it's kind of unfair. And I'm, uh, you know, that, that kind of stinks. If it is a simulation, does that mean I can like overthrow the king? Would that be? What mindset do I need to take on to better my life? The king is just going to be the king of the simulation, it turns out. There okay. might be like an, an overlord in the outside world who created the simulation. That's going to be like God emperor of simulation. And, you know, it's like you really want to change things. Talk to the simulator. Oh, okay. Can we hook that up? Can we talk to the simulator? You, you, you can't talk to the simulator. We can't talk to the simulator. I mean, there is first. Unless you take a red pill. Unless you take a red pill. It could be a red pill simulation. You never know. I don't, it's just, well, if we can't talk to the simulator, then why have the argument? If we can't even, why does it matter? If we can't tell, can we tell? It's not like my wife is glitching or anything. I mean. If it's a perfect simulation, we'll never tell. A perfect simulation that I'll have programmed in, no glitches. But maybe we can hope this is an imperfect simulation. They've left a bit of room for glitches and a bit of room. Maybe we can stress test the simulation, see if it breaks down and maybe the, uh, Hey, maybe if we do a good enough job, the simulators will want to talk to us and say, hey, how'd you do that? I mean, Glaucon, I, I don't know if you've had the experience of seeing the thin skin that seems to cover reality, uh, you know, with something hideously wrong underneath it, just wrong, wrong against life. It seems like you were expressing something like that when we were drunk a couple nights ago. Yeah, I mean, we were drunk and that was before I started seeing a therapist. But uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes life does seem to kind of suck, but through a Veil, I guess I talked about. But, uh, you know, again, is that the truth? Does life suck? Is that what we're getting at? What do you think, Glaucon? Is it preferable to be in a simulated world or in unsimulated reality? Which do you hope for in your heart of hearts? Well, I mean, unsimulated, I guess, unless, I mean, are the chicks hotter in the simulated world? You know what I'm saying? Is the food better? Where's the good wine? You know, am I rich in the simulated world? Am I rich in the, you know, if I'm being all philosophical, I guess real real is better than fake real. But I mean, maybe they're just different kinds of real. Why should a physical real 
be better than digital real. Digital real is real too. I mean, I I love my wife. I'm not going to lie. And don't tell her this, but I did have an affair. And there was a piece of me that felt bad about that. You know what I'm saying? And I did. She'll never know. Why should it matter? Well, I know she'll never know, but I'm just saying like during the, the act, I was feeling like this isn't right. Or this isn't good. Or but that, you know, you're saying be, if, if it's a simulation, then it was definitely okay. Is that your thought? Well, I'm saying it was maybe it was just a poor sim, or I wished it was a simulation. I wish it was like when we first met my wife and I, and like we really loved. You know, it was like hot and heavy and nice and pleasant. You know, and and the physical acts were happening. You know, but now we've got lives, we've got duties, we've got kids. You know, and things. And it's if it's cyber sex, it doesn't count. If it's real sex, it counts. Cyber sex doesn't count. Or is that just emotional cheating? That's why we're talking. That's I think that's the question, isn't it? You know, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I guess real would be better than not real. <sighs> but it sounds like if you physically enter into a intimate situation, but you're not really into it, then it's as if there's less reality to that than if you're a whole, right? It's not a matter it's merely the physical, but of, of the uh, surrounding structure, the rules, the, the emotional component. So... It's almost like it didn't really happen. Like it was the just bodies are real, but The bodies are real, but the emotions need not be. You know, it's like, yeah, if something's Ooh. emotional, superficial. It happened. It's not real. Well, I'm just going to get out of jail free card here. I, I know Socrates is all about. about, about Minds are buddies. Body, if it gets me off. I mean, or my, you know, mind. I just thought, Socrates, you were known maybe, for. Maybe, maybe it depends what your wife cares about. Your mind or your body. Mm, mm. That's rough. That's going to be rough. I'll tell you what, it was a very unreal situation. I was out back behind the stables, you know, and it was one of those like, this never happens to me before, but it did happen. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, this isn't supposed to, like a letter to a, at a, read at a forum, uh, like this isn't supposed to happen to me, but it did. So it was pretty unreal as far as that goes. I suspect that's a pretty good indication that you were actually in a simulation at that moment. You know, you probably, you paid a bunch of money for yeah, have that fantasy outside the uh, outside the stables, and they did it to you, and they did it in such a way that, of course, they wiped out your knowledge that it was a, a simulation, so it would feel more real to you. But that kind of thing only happens in simulations, right? My understanding is that you know, at least according to the view I, I normally hear associated with you, Socrates, is that it's not the physical and particular that really matters. Like if he was just loving the beauty insofar as it was present in each of his spouses like the beauty is one in the same right there's different instantiations but those are all less real than the beauty it's the beautiful itself so glaucon i mean think about it you know you were having a relationship with beauty itself it might have incidentally appeared in multiple individuals but you know you're you're basically faithful to the beautiful yeah you think she'll buy that i mean <laughs> we can does she care about We've got first asked, did she care about mind or body now it's going to matter does she care about the the universal or the particular if she only cares about the universal, what you did was great, but she might care about the particular. It's like, okay, the particular instance of beauty you're having sex with, and she might want it to be her. Ooh, okay. Again, we're needing, I need some answers here. All right. We're, this is a lot of, is this live? Is this Memorex? You know, we got to like, let's figure, figure this out. I mean, if this is a simulation, is there any way to take control of the simulation? Do I have more agency in a simulation? If it's a perfect simulation, Maybe not, because there's going to be no way to reach the controls. Maybe we can try and uh, communicate with the simulators. You know, send them a message. Hey, guys, we're on to you. Talk to us and take control. But if it's a good enough simulation, maybe there's nothing we can do about that. We have agency within the simulation, but it doesn't mean we control it. 
I mean, in the physical world, we don't expect to have control, but you know, we still have agency. It's not like agency means you have to control everything. It sounds like church. Are they the simulators on Mount Olympus? Do we need to talk to them? Yeah, who knows what they are. Maybe it's just teenage girl and the uh, hacking away on her computer or in the in the next universe up. But yeah, maybe we can do some theology to figure out what our simulator likes. Like, okay, what's our world got? Ah, it's got a lot of worms. Okay, the simulator really likes worms. It turns out an ant. And uh, so on mountains. Yeah, fjords. Okay. They like fjords. They like planets. But yeah, all we can do is theology on what the simulators seem to like. I mean, they're always, always with the thinking, Socrates. You gotta, it's take action. You have a fatted calf, Glaucon. If, if we just go down. Oh, yeah. I have a fatted calf. Yes. I took a fatted calf to the Temple of Apollo. And at the time, I just thought I was being nice. Now I'm learning about this whole simulation. I'm seeing this thing from another angle. Well, I slaughtered the fatted calf as a sacrifice. It would have tasted great, but Apollo can have it. And now I'm questioning maybe Apollo doesn't want fatted calves. I'm not simulated fatted calves. I mean, we're not simulated. That's the calves. problem here is that the, how do the, the sense of the simulated thing reach to the gods if it's merely a simulation? The trouble is inside the simulation, as we know, everything tastes like chicken. Fatted calf is going to taste like chicken. If your fatted calf tastes like chicken, that's a sign you're in a simulation. Wow. Okay. It just, it saves bits. You know, it saves memory to just make everything have the same taste. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think likewise, you could make an argument to the gods that just merely would it be enough to make the wife and the mistress copies of each other? Or would you have to somehow merge the codes? If they share memories, would that help? Then they would be considered the same individual. Or would they just, you know, oh crap, I now remember from the other woman's point of view that you were unfaithful. The fact that they were separate, does that matter to them being now the same? How about if we put his wife's mind in the other woman's body? Would that work for you? Wow. Well, first of all, let me say she's not a mistress. This was just a a one and done over and out situation. No, it's going to be. I'll I'll tell you that right now. But yeah, I guess, yeah, we put her mind in her body. This is great material that I'm going to, should this become knowledge, this is all wonderful ammunition that I can calm her down with. I think this is great. I saw you in her. Wow. Give that one a try. And we'll, uh, we'll run back the simulation 15 minutes if that doesn't work out for you. So or, it is a simulation. I mean, let's end this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, I know one of the things in your book, David, that you take up is that we couldn't know, right, as just an empirical matter that Bostrom famously sort of wrote an article. We're most likely in a simulation because if you just figure out how easy if simulation is possible then probably people would run a lot of them and so just by the sheer law of numbers most likely we're in do you you want to respond to that situation first off yeah a thousand simulated worlds to one unsimulated world what are the odds we're one of the lucky ones in the uh the unsimulated world could be like one in a thousand this is an argument we should actually think it's super likely we're in a simulation because hey most people are it doesn't really bill? seem to, <laughs> I don't know. Ed, when you were talking about that, Mark, I do remember seeing that come across. It was a very clickbaity kind of thing that made it into the pop psychology a sphere. It seemed a little, I don't know, flimsy to me. Uh, just because it can, that means it must, it, it's probably true, you know? Yeah. What's the meta rule behind making decisions about the validity of these laws of numbers questions, right? We have, other similar ones of, you know, how unlikely is it that we would be in a universe that has the physical laws that allow us to be alive? 
therefore there must be a God that created this. And the response to that being, well, even if that's true, and there were all these other ones that didn't have, then, well, nobody would be asking that question in those worlds. So it's sort of a self-selecting group. So that is, at least in that scenario, a way to respond to the large numbers thing. Is there something comparable, a way to respond to Bostrom's argument here? One thing we can say, and Bostrom himself says, is, you know, well, if it turns out, yeah, it could turn out that actually simulations are in a minority and non-simulations are in a majority. But for that to happen, then it's going to better be the case that most non-simulated worlds don't create simulations. And then why would that happen? Mm -hmm. He says, basically... Two natural reasons. One, they die off before they ever create, get to the point of being able to create simulations. Or two, they decide not to create simulations. Maybe they decide they could do it, but they decide it's a bad idea. So for Bostrom here, he says, actually, it's a three-way conclusion. Either Mm. we'll die before we create simulations, or we'll decide not to, or we're probably in a simulation. In the book, I call these sim blockers, things that might block the existence of simulations. The conclusion is more like, if there are no sim blockers, as if there are lots of simulations, then we're probably in a simulation. The role I end up playing, as I did in that last one, knowing precious little about actual Glaucon, uh, (laughs) this idea of like the whole what's in it for me, not necessarily that to be evil self-centered, but I think all humans to a degree, what's in it for me, lunch, gets rid of the hunger feeling. Does it matter if we're in a simulation or not? Is it moot? Is it just conjecture? Is it, okay, we're in a perfect simulation. That's actually, we're in a thousand nested perfect simulations. All right, I got rent due on the 31st. What was it, you know, like Yes, some people would say this changes everything because now your life is a fiction. Everything you believe is a hallucination. Nothing is real. The whole thing is meaningless. This is actually the view I want to I want to oppose. I want to say, yeah, even if we're in a simulation 42 levels down, you still love your wife. You're still you know, doing philosophy or doing improv, as, as the case may be. You can still have meaningful interactions with the world. We're still conscious beings, and we make our lives meaningful, whether it's in a physical world or a digital world. So I'm with you, Glacom. Good, thanks. <laughs> and I'm giving you back your names in the public. <laughs> in the yeah, Zoom. Yeah. Pain is still pain. Hunger is still hunger. There's love triangles happening all over the world right now as we speak. And there's poor, miserable people wondering if that other person even knows if they're alive. You know what I'm saying? We've all been in those situations. And I, and I, I think we can't just wish them away. Probably some of those love triangles are, in fact, with bots. You know, I mean, we know <laughs> yes. some people have actually fallen in love with bots. Uh, they thought it was like, a, you know, who's to say a glamorous Russian woman or something. No, just a bot who knows how to keep you on a string. If you never know, is that meaningful? I don't know. Depends if the bot is conscious. If the bot is just an unconscious zombie process, then I don't know. I would rather at least know that the, uh, the person I'm having this relationship with on the other end is conscious and capable of emotions. Yeah. The whole thing is kind of hollow. Well, if I want to invest my emotion into something, I would like to see it reciprocated in some, in some regard. And I don't think that's gross or broken of me. I think people who do fall in love with bots do fall in love. They do feel what they feel. What if it turns out the bot is not feeling anything? The bot exactly. is just behaving. No feeling. Does that suddenly, in retrospect, just so you find this out, does that make the whole thing kind of hollow? It makes it hollow in that it's sad, in that I, I might be depressed. I think, again, just as humans, we want our feelings to be reciprocated. You know, we want to go to the game and all cheer for our team and all be on the same page. We want to 
be a, a group and we want to find a partner and we want to think that whatever it is we're investing our time in is, is meaningful. And to find out that it isn't, I think, would leave us feeling hollow. Maybe that's one respect where it does make a difference, whether we're in a simulation or not. Just say the simulation, they're all unconscious sure. bots. All the other people are mirror NPCs with no consciousness. And that would not be so great because then it's going to turn out, I thought my feelings were reciprocated. But they weren't. I thought I was actually having a meaningful conversation with another conscious being, but I wasn't. So, okay. So we care about consciousness, at least. I think it's that we make presumptions and we don't want to be lied to or deceived. And in that regard, simulations can be deceptive, but if they may not necessarily be deceptive. Well, yes, that's one of the main things we've covered. Are we in a simulation now? And you conclude, well, we can't actually rule that out. But even if we are, as Bill's been saying, it's okay And on top of that, even with the real world virtual reality things that we have, that's a strange way of putting it, but the virtual reality things that have actually been developed by scientists, we should consider those to be meaningful. And I think the key thing that we've hit on here is, is it reciprocal? Is, are there other humans involved? One of the things in philosophical history that you talk about is Robert Nozick's experience machine, which I think has come up on this show before, where would you rather be in the real world with it being kind of grimy and imperfect, or would you rather be inserted in a simulation where all of your dreams come true? Well, the question is like the matrix are other people in there with me are real other people in the matrix, the movie, other real people are in there so I can fall in love. I can be with them. It's all real, but we think maybe if they're NPCs and this is even something that you address, David, if there are computer generated characters that do not have the requisite subjective characteristics if they are not fully conscious then you you would be deceived in some way yeah so i think the mere fact that it's digital doesn't mean you're being deceived you know you can have a perfectly meaningful life in the matrix even though it's digital rather than the standard kind of physics but um i do think we care about consciousness so yeah we care that other people in there are conscious i think we also care about autonomy or free will just say we learn that Okay, we're in the matrix, but in fact, this world is just following a script. You loaded in that script for, I don't know, live life as a professional philosopher. It'll be fun and so on. You'll meet interesting people, but it's all pre-planned on a script. In fact, uh, we're just right now having a scripted conversation. We're just following the, uh, the tracks. It feels like we're exerting free will, but we're not. That's what Nozick's experience machine is like, I think. It's just like you get to live out a fantasy where, you know, you're a super successful rock star or tennis player, or whatever you like, that could be diverting, it could be pleasant. But I think for real meaning, we want the sense that we actually did something and we actually did it freely. And I think, you know, in the physical world, hopefully we can do that. We've got something like free will. And I think we could have free will in a digital world. Yeah, we go into second life or another social virtual reality. We can still use our free will in a digital world. So if the matrix is like that, that with free will, autonomy, consciousness, then I'm all for it. But if the matrix lacks free will, autonomy, and consciousness, then I think, you know, then maybe it's just a shadow of reality. Let's stop for some sponsor talk. I want to need to talk to you about Factor Meals. It's America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, helping you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. I don't mind cooking sometimes, but I don't want the times where I don't have time to cook to just be heating up a frozen pizza or ordering from a restaurant. I'm an adult. I want consistent nutritional quality, and I want things to actually taste good, not super processed. With Factor Meals, you're going to get things like cranberry pecan chicken, apple Dijon pork chops, 
These are hearty, comforting meals featuring seasonal veggies, premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. There are at least 35 options every week. Plenty if you want to keep vegetarian or restrict yourself to calorie smart meals with 550 or less calories per serving or protein plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. There's also lunch to go options, more than 45 add-ons to suit various tastes and preferences like breakfast items, snacks, beverage options. I really like the smoothies. In addition to having used the service myself, I set up my elderly father with a factor meals plan. He has very exacting standards for nutrition and he thinks it's just great. So skip grocery store trips. These are delivered right to your door sustainably given that factor offsets 100% delivery emissions and sources 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices. So this is a sustainable, healthy, ethical choice, which gets you a good meal ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash improv50. Use code improv50 to get 50% off. That's code improv50 at factormeals.com slash improv50 to get 50% off. Yeah, I'm kind of reminded of the Kurt Vonnegut book, Breakfast of Champions, where not sure if you all, if anyone out there has read it, but this idea is that even in the first, the first paragraph, he kind of spills the beans and it's like, this character is going to find out he's the only real person. Everybody else is a robot. As it goes on, spoiler alert, perhaps the author is the simulator, is the person who's in charge of this simulation, and perhaps they make an appearance or perhaps they are affected by this world and what happens to someone when they find out that they're the only real thing, only to then find out that perhaps they aren't even a real thing. <laughs> I think reading that book at age 14 or 15 was one of the things, one of my launching points into philosophy. There we go. Because okay. it was so meta. Everything has to be meta after that. Well, I would suggest rereading it later in life, too. I think you, you will appreciate it on a, <laughs> on a different level. Well, talking about the improv lesson here, now I know... Mr. Chalmers, you asked when we said, when Mark changed your name to Socrates, you said, quote, do I have to be annoying and ask a lot of questions? Which is this whole notion, talking about simulations, where do you stop and where does Socrates begin? And this notion of actor versus character, and it's fun that they maybe they have the same root word. I don't know, I don't know the Latin or Greek behind actor and character, but they do share some letters. Yeah, if I'm doing improv Socrates and I'm really good at it, Maybe that's going to be like running a full-scale Socrates simulation, and Socrates is going to be uh, going to be in here sometime. Maybe people who are like you know actors on a set, or uh, even better, like some kind of improv drama. You know, maybe you're a puppeteer that plays the same puppet every night in a new situation. Maybe you get really good at making yourself into a simulation. Maybe there is kind of two of you. People have reported this. Wasn't there, there was a book about this, Love of Seven Dolls, where like she loved the puppet, but she hated the puppeteer. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but the, but the puppet's mind is kind of running on the puppeteer. So he's a, it's at least kind of, you know, two sides to a mind. Ah, if you're just someone like me who doesn't know how to do, really know how to do improv or to act and so on, then I'm just uh, maybe saying a bunch of stuff that's influenced by Socrates and maybe that's mostly me. I had a, a situation as an actor in an independent film, let's be honest, but my role was someone who's getting dumped. And you might think, well, that's terrible. No one wants to get dumped. My character does not want to get dumped. They don't want to, you know, they have a romantic relationship and they get broken up with. But as an actor, I was thrilled. I couldn't wait to get on set. And the, the director was a friend of mine. He's like, feel free to improvise all you like. We'll let the cameras roll, get dumped. And the idea of like, I'm in the car driving down to the set, thinking of all the different ways to cry. How fun will this be 
to get destroyed. You know, it's like, it's not me. It is this other person. But this other person, something terrible is happening to them. Why am I enjoying the pain this other person will be experiencing? And one of the things I was clumsily gesturing at during the scene was like with romantic relationships that actors, they have to do all these love scenes and things. And yet, oh, no, it doesn't count. But wait, wait, there was actual physical contact there, right? Maybe with a really cutting edge director, it would be very (laughs) advanced physical contact. But no, no, it doesn't count because I was, you know, I was, it's just pretend that there have to be some limits when you're talking about physical situations to what actually counts as a simulation versus actually, no, you're still doing the action. Oh, no, no, it's, it's a use versus mention distinction. You don't understand, spouse. I was merely uh, gesturing. I wasn't, you know, actually performing the act. I mean, things do happen to actors, right? When they're acting. I mean, things happen to characters, but some of those things happen to the actors. Like, okay. Maybe he's not really, maybe Bill's not really dumped, but uh, someone might really slap him in the face. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was really his face. The character's face got slapped and he got slapped. And who's to say, like, yeah, maybe his partner gives him a little kick under the table. It's not not on camera. That doesn't happen to the character, but it happens to Bill. Oh, that's fun. That's a very fun distinction. <laughs> I'm slapped back to reality in that moment, quite literally. You'll see moments sometimes of, I know, Sasha Baron Cohen will come up about like some, he's playing some ridiculous character, but then something happens that is real in that moment. You know, he really did drink too much. He really is getting drunk. Can he keep in care? Can he stay, keep doing this? Yeah. Rudy Giuliani really did hit on the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. someone who is de dicto, who is not actually underage, but because he thought it was underage, then the referent to the, the person he was hitting on does refer to a fictional underage person. And does it matter that it was a simulation from an ethical point of view that he thought he was doing something that was, in fact, wrong if he had been correct in his perceptions? We definitely learned something about the real Rudy Giuliani there, even if the situation was fiction. Yes, any veil he presented to us of a honorable politician was pierced to those who choose to see. Bill, do you want to start us on another scene here? Sure. So I, think, I think we'd love to start another scene. And maybe one where, David, you could be anybody. We don't even know who you are. Yes. You don't not, even that, know who that's you not, are. I was sort of cheating last time to assign everybody roles. That's, we never do <laughs> well, that. We were, having, we were having fun. Mark and I talked about it, and we, we wouldn't want to miss an opportunity such as this. So maybe we'll do, do something here. We'll, I'll get this thing rolling. And you could be absolutely anybody. I thought you improvised very well. You knew who you were. Uh, and sure, there's lots of information about improv and whatnot. And, Yes, and don't ask questions. Don't say no. I would say don't worry about that. Instead, be somebody. And we can talk about what that means some other time. What is it to be somebody? All right, y'all. Here's the situation. Uh, I just got word from the principal. The bus is actually going to be back with the kids a little early. So we got to get this gymnasium decorated for the big dance. So um, if people want to start grabbing balloons and streamers and things, let's get this gym. Yeah, I brought my chart of how... uh I think we should really make this, we had said it's an undersea theme, and I really want it to be realistic. So in fact, I propose that we suck some of the oxygen out of the room, not enough so it would be harmful, but you, you have, they're not going <laughs> to feel like they're undersea if they can breathe absolutely normally. I don't know how we do that. <laughs> this is, uh... Well, I, oh, I, have, I have the charts. We can do some caulking on the windows and just, you know, you just create a, it's a local simulation. The kids are going to want to dance. They're going to want to have fun. And if they're constantly hypoxic, I'm not sure if that's going to be. I have a VR program, VR program under the sea. You swim with the fishes. And yeah, right now it's just visual. But I heard that Elon Musk's company, uh, Neuralink, is working on brain computer, uh, brain computer interfaces. And they've actually agreed 
to give us a brain computer interface to try out on our little uh, in our little gym tonight. So we're going to be able to actually simulate through these people's brains the experience mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of being uh, of being underwater. Can we get that set up in forty five minutes? I mean, is oh that yeah, something- Elon, Elon, Elon is quick. Yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll be over. Okay, I'm I'm smelling parent release forms. I'm smelling maybe some. Are the kids going to want to do this? We've prepared them through years of pretend, pretend you can be it. So I think the body dysmorphia that they will suffer when some of them have, uh, you know, become mer people, you know, with their virtual avatars, they're probably really well, much more prepared for that than you would be. I think they kind of want to have a dance. I think they've been thinking about it. I think they've been already. Who am I going to ask to dance? Who am I going to ask out? Who who, who am I going to? They can dance in the virtual world, in the virtual world. Actually, you know, university high school politics these days, they say, you know, dancing is a very, very sensitive subject. And a lot of, you know, things go wrong and mm-hmm, arms mm-hmm. are done. For Actually, loose, they're yeah. recommending this. They're recommending this. We just lie the kids down. Everyone's in their own separate chair with their own VR device. And then they can virtually dance. And it turns out, like, the, the school board is totally fine with that. Yeah, as long as virtual, you know, it doesn't raise the same problems. Eight inches apart, that's room for the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay, I, I just, um, dancing is risky? Now, we're now saying dancing is risky. Yeah, kids touching each other, you know, potentially in, you know, intimate ways. It's like, yeah, we've had a lot of complaints in the, uh, in the past. I think that's okay. I actually, I mean, you, you guys, I mean, if you're going to be liberal about it, if you're going to be, I mean, I thought we were, we were being, having a more conservative sort of a, you know, school board approved dance. This is Oklahoma. You know, in Oklahoma, you gotta, you gotta stay with what, with what's okay in Oklahoma. In Rome, we do as the Romans do, but yeah, in the, in the Midwest, we do as the Midwesterns do. So in Oklahoma, they would rather have VR headsets. And people lying on the ground. As long as they don't say gay while they're doing it. But really, I mean, the great thing about a really developed VR is it can actually teach them about other cultures. That it's not just that they are as themselves in a different physical environment, but we can insert, you know, the mores that we want them to have directly so that they are not dancing in any way, even virtually beyond the pale. Yeah, the school board said no touching. They said it's just a rule, no touching. And the kids thought that is no fun. So actually now they get to do some virtual touching. That's okay with the school board. Maybe it's not quite as good for the kids, but hey, there's at least there's a bit of, you know, there's a bit of that experience, that touching experience. And they get like, to intertwine their tentacles. You know, the ones who, the ones who, check, monsters, I guess. The ones who check that box on the form. Yeah. Well, it would just, we're just trying to control them. We're just trying to control their experience. Is that is that all this is, is, is all this is? We don't trust them to make decisions. We don't trust them, so we're just trying to I mean, control them. Obviously, haven't we always done that? We've controlled our kids' experiences. Just a question of what you control and what you let them get away with. Yes. Don't eat poison. Don't ride bike on the interstate. Do enjoy your life. Do explore. Do I mean? Shouldn't we be doing that too? But we've we'll also let found them go to a, we'll let them go to a horror movie, but you know we don't actually want them to be have people with uh, you know knives hunting them down. Right. If you just say don't eat poison, they're going to go right out and eat poison. So you got to give them a, a way in the virtual environment. So we have certain things that are poison in the in the virtual environment, and that'll just you know give them a little time out. But they'll get to try it and say you know poison's not for me. The only way you have learned any lesson, Mark is by doing what your, the opposite of what your parents say. You've never believed them when they say, don't touch a hot stove. You never trusted them. Does anybody, I mean, to a certain point. I, I didn't need to touch the hot stove. I was told not to. 
I saw what happened. You've never put- touched a hot thing. You've never touched I didn't want to be a hamburger. I, I didn't need to touch it. Some of these kids like experimenting with like, you know, a new body and so on. Already in the even in the physical world, they're doing things, their bodies, their identities. The virtual world is going to give them a chance for a lot of exploration. Can we make it be- optional? Can we make it optional? Can we set up maybe in one side of the gym over in the weight room? We can set up this VR thing. If they want to do that, they can. But we'll have music. We already paid a DJ. We've paid a DJ. We've got food coming. <laughs> can we make it optional? I mean, yeah, because we have the, the cattle prod pokes that can stay in the physical space, and that'll be fine for controlling. But I think that they'll... No, we're, not, you know, we're not cattle prodding. Once, we're not once they've marked, experienced a cattle, cattle prod once, and then they'll prefer the virtual. I think we can train them to uh, prefer the safe options. I think we'll do a two-by-two two design. We'll have the ones who are in the, the physical space who choose physical space. Some of them will be in physical space, but some of them will be in a simulation of mm. physical space. And the ones who choose the uh, the virtual space, some of them will be in a virtual space, but other ones will be in, I don't know, some kind of physical space that's as close as possible to that. Then at the end, we'll debrief them and we'll ask them, how meaningful was that for you? We'll turn it into a science experiment. Right. Exactly. Because right. every kid, and- Friday night, 1030, let's debrief. And so that's going to go over real well. David, was part of that that half the people who are in the virtual know that they're in the virtual? And half of them don't know that they're in the virtual so that, you know, we know the- they don't know. They don't know until mm. afterwards. Mm. And then mm. afterwards they find out they were in the virtual. I like this. How does that affect their, uh, their take on the experience? It's like, ah, does that mean it was nothing? Or do they say, Hey, you know, that was still incredibly meaningful or horrible or beneficial. Or- Can y'all not smell the liability? That's well, going see, on. That's <laughs> what <laughs> the burning in the back of your nose. Elon has agreed to cover the liability for all of us. And if you look at the consent forms, you know, that doesn't mean it's good. I mean, it's like the consent forms let you them choose, you know, virtual or non-virtual or surprise me. Right. And I think most consent forms nowadays have a surprise me. Really? A surprise me <laughs> box on the consent form. Wow. I consent to being surprised. Yeah. I wouldn't. Wouldn't you? I mean, kids love surprises. Like if you ask your kid, would you rather we just bring the presents into you unwrapped already? Or would you rather we wrap them? They want to experience the joy of discovery. But when they also say, do you want us to grab something off your Christmas list? Or would you rather a surprise? I think most kids, I want something off my list. Or maybe one or two surprises. The stocking can be surprises, but Santa better deliver the Xbox. You know, I think that's, yeah. Okay. It sounds like we should have done a little more market research in terms of, you know, I knew some wanted the Murr experience. Some wanted the tentacles. But there could be things that we haven't even thought of. I mean, do people want to be, I would think being an actual clam, an oyster where you, as soon as you open it to get the pearl, the oyster is dead. So that was one that I had ruled out. But is that something we should have asked them if they would like? To be dead? I mean, again, in a virtual safe way, isn't that what horror movies are, is to experience the fear of death and I guess the actual death in a removed way. But we want to know we're going to survive. Yeah, we want to be surprised, but we want to know the ultimate outcome is going to be good. I'm a clam. Someone opens me and takes my pearl. What am I seeing on my headset? What am I hearing I mean, while the, I am a dead clam? <laughs> I guess Zero. Death. Nothingness. Just darkness. Silence. Some of these have to be... Game over. Yeah, artists, artists' depictions of what they think death might be. But we could maybe put some real research into this and find what near-death patients report and really feed that into the, the algorithm. Okay, let's get a bunch of high school kids and have them go through near-death experiences. 
as realistic as we can imagine. Wow. Surprise me. Surprise me. I mean, it also makes sense. From what I understand, the more you study philosophy, the more prepared you are for death. So maybe something with the honor students, they get a slightly different experience because they're already used to shunning their bodies. And so, you know, it's not as big a deal with them. They're, they're sort of atemporal already. Maybe we can do like a really realistic death scene. And then, uh, you know, like they die and like they're in the gym. Then we send them to heaven. And it's like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. this is amazing. This is incredible. This is everything I thought heaven ever ever would be. And then we say, surprise, it was a simulation. Back to Earth. Hooray. Wasn't there a movie about that? Like, heaven can wait. Yeah, I'm sure all the kids of this era have seen that movie from. This could be a South Park version. Yeah. Kids these days, they don't, they didn't see the good movies. <laughs> they don't know what it's like. Look, I just, I really, re- this is really cool. And it's awesome to have this technology. Can we at least agree to make it optional? And if kids want to dance to the music and we can keep them from touching and they can have punch and they can have their little conversations and, and I mean, optional, yes, but. They should know that the recording, their, their choice has weight. So it, we're going to record all the experiences and then they're going to have to go through those again and again throughout eternity or at least simulated eternity. So it just it gives it a little more heft. They'll, they'll think a little more carefully. Eternal recurrence. So if someone has an awkward time at the dance, they get rejected. No one wants to talk to them. They then have to relive that. Oh, my God. I mean, it's only fair. I'm, I'm, already, I'm already having nightmares. Like, I'm <laughs> Thank with you. you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm with you. I think all these technologies should be optional. And I think virtual reality mm, technology right. should be optional. Some people just prefer nature. You just prefer things with a real history. And so and that's if that's what you want, no one should be forced to hang out in virtual reality. They can hang out in physical reality. On the other hand, we also know, yeah, maybe smartphones are optional, but... How optional are they these days? You know, it's like everyone mm-hmm. else is mm-hmm. using, a, using a smartphone. You don't go along with it. You're going to miss a lot of stuff. It could turn out that if you don't go along with VR at the end of the day, you're going to be missing out on a lot. So there's going to be a lot of social pressures. Yeah, I guess that's enough consequence that if they don't choose the tentacle experience and the rest of their classmates are, are going on about their tentacle experiences, they're going to feel like, you know, I guess I made the wrong decision. And that's probably enough of a learning experience. You keep going to tentacles I mean, a lot, Mark. It was, on the, it was on the survey. I mean, it's, I'm sorry. I didn't. It's not my fetish. Is it, there's, there's one theory that this whole universe is created by 26-dimensional octopuses. And I guess, you know, that they might have that tentacle fetish themselves. So maybe we're seeing a bit of a hint of our, uh, our simulator's preferences here. So if you don't have a tentacle finish, Bill, that shows that you're actually somehow fallen from the original state. Uh, you know, you're not reflecting our creator. Okay. Sorry. We've, we, we've talked about keeping these kids safe, and now we're speaking openly about fetishizing tentacles. I think maybe we should just get this gym ready and let the kids have a dance. And if they want to have a VR experience and, or, or miss out on either, they can miss out on either. The VR people will miss out on a boring dance and the dance people will miss out on a f- simulated reality that hopefully won't glitch and hopefully won't crash and hopefully will be pleasant. How about we do it two consecutive Friday nights? We'll do the physical reality dance. We'll do the vi- virtual reality dance. Both of them will be optional, open to whoever wants to do them, and we'll see how they like them. There's a volleyball game scheduled for next week, so we'll have to put the VR kids in the, in the stands probably for, during the volleyball game. Okay, we'll get a virtual gymnasium. 
All right, gentlemen, we've completed the uh, simulation of the dance uh, test, the dance planning committee. Uh, we'll do the actual planning in just a few minutes. Whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. That, <laughs> Sorry, that, yeah, was, that, that wasn't was the, the plan. That was, that was the end of the scene. That, that was my. That wasn't. Oh no, that was that, my go meta. That wasn't. We didn't just plan. We still have to plan oh, the yeah. event. Oh yeah. <sighs> I mean, but we'll do it again and again. Anyway, well, that was fun, Mark. That All was right. fun. All right. Yes. I try to come up with some way to end these things. I usually do not succeed, but <laughs> we ended. Have we ended? Oh, yes. Have we ended? Have we ended? Yes. yes. We're we're now. <laughs> oh my god! To base How do I know whether this is real or simulation? Base or, level yeah. reality. <laughs> oh my god! We may be in the play, or we may be back on Earth, and I've got no idea. That is the danger when a scene is just a conversation, and we've already been having a conversation, and but it just lets us have conversations less responsibly. That's, they, that's they look, the secret of the formula. They may have a yeah similar temper, timbre, tempo. Yeah, one of, those, those, one of those words. All those things. One of those words. <laughs> but that was fun. And it's this idea of like, this idea of the difference between character and an actor. Now, Mark, you don't really want to keep kids that safe, do you? Uh, no, but I was wondering as a serious <laughs> thing about the, does it ever work to tell kids, don't touch that thing? At least they have to generalize. from Like, they have to touch some things they're not supposed to touch and have a bad experience. And then when you tell them in the future... Yeah, this is also a thing you should not touch, like that other thing. But you can't substitute for the actual firsthand experience. Now, this thing that Hulk came up with, like keeping the kids safe, I'm presuming neither of you knew that that's where this was going, you know, or that would be an undercurrent or an undertone of, of controlling children in order to keep them safe. Y'all just took the point of view of this VR thing is a good idea, you know, but it was in taking on those people and exploring them. Let, let the cat out of the bag here. It was in ex- taking this. I think VR is a good idea. Great and questioning it and being questioned about it and having to put on that point of view, we arrived at this kind of eerie control. It is about control. It is about, I control your experience. And that's kind of gross. It's kind of, at the end of the day, is that what all these simulated realities will end up being? We're always controlling kids' experiences, you know, more and more these days, right? So yeah, this is maybe a logical ending point. We'll only put our kids into approved realities to have approved experiences. Yeah, yeah. Maybe once you're 18, you get to choose your own experience. Not until then. And you are completely equipped to make a wonderful decision. <laughs> Will there be the, the Apple kids that they'll be controlled in no jailbreaking or and versus the Android kids that will, you know, it'll be uh, yeah. <laughs> sky's the limit. Then there'll be the open AI kids who have already been uploaded to the cloud. Those Unix kids. They always think they're better than everybody else. Oh, boy. I'm a Unix kid. There we go. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm really in contact with the fundamental level of reality, the bits. I feel like in your book, you already do a lot of what we've been exploring or pretending to explore in these improv things, which is that, okay, now we're going to consider Bostrom's argument. So you're going to actually make Bostrom's argument. You're going to be Bostrom for a minute and or steel man him. You're going to be the ideal Bostrom and give that version. And that's just what the play acting that, Socrates was actually against. He thought, no, you should just speak truth. Whereas the people he was arguing against, the sophists, said, no, you could argue, you know, they're like lawyers. You could take any side, argue it. And that's actually how you get to the truth, is that you take on multiple characters, as, of course, Plato was doing in writing the dialogues, that he was Glaucon and Thrasymachus and Socrates. I think I was being sincere in the book, actually. I was arguing for what I think and what I believe. Yeah, along the way, I can tell you someone else's argument and so on. But, you know, but come to the end of every chapter or the end sure. of the book. This is what I think. So, uh, yeah, any philosopher can say, well, my opponent 
we'll say blah, 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 and then we simulate our my opponent. But when I say in my voice, this is what I think is true, then, you know, I'm trying to speak the truth there. Because ultimately, I think, you know, philosophy is all about knowing the world, understanding the world. I want to understand the world. Yeah, I think that's great. So when you climbed into the mind of Carnap for that many years to then, then build your Constructing the World book, obviously it's not in bad faith, but it, it certainly involves some intellectual exploration that I think is beyond what would be Socratically approved. Uh, you mean like thought experiments and trying on ideas from different traditions and so on? Why is, why is Socrates going to be against that? I just, or perhaps you were just that, and this is throwing back to our discussion from 10 years ago that, you know, that you, you wrote this book, Constructing the World, based on, you know, growing out of Carnap's Aufbau product, project, yeah. which to me is one of those, a lot of philosophers I think are profoundly wrong, but I want to enter into their world long enough to understand it. And so I felt about Carnap similarly the way I, you probably feel about Hegel, say, or, or maybe, maybe this would go to, uh, no, no, I got a flavor of Hegel and that's why I don't read Hegel. <laughs> that, that, uh, I don't know. I think, I think Carnap was onto something and yeah, he didn't get everything right, but I'm trying to go through it and uh, say, here's what he got right. Because I think, yeah, where he got right, I think we got real insight into reality. So I wasn't just play acting on, uh, exploring Carnap there. I was, uh, I was sincere. All right. Well, this was in my improvisatory attempt to try to connect the worlds of philosophy as David does it and improv. The second we start talking about simulations, this idea that comes up, I mean, it's just scratch the surface and there's a million and one, everything from pop psychology and this idea that are we who we are, that we portray ourselves to be code switching, you know, oh, I'm, I'm this kind of a person at home or this kind of person at work. And just like what is real and what isn't real just starts getting so heavy and it's all around us and it's constantly happening. And the idea that like, well, let's put all that to the side and just consider if reality is a simulation. It's like, are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, like we are constantly simulating. This is, it's all around us. We are creatures of simulation. And to think that we can just like turn it off or turn it on or modulate it. That's kind of bold right there. Every time we use imagination, that's a kind of simulation. Simulation hypothesis is just imagination or dreaming on steroids. It LARPing, uh, going to a cosplay convention. I mean, it's, it's all around us. Just imagining, sitting on the train, daydreaming. You know, what am I going to say to that person? Oh, I've got a meeting with the boss. What are they going to say to me? What am I going to say back? It's just like we're always, always, always simulating or dreaming. One thing that's interesting, and I think this might be the real test for AI, is that so often in life, things happen that you could never have guessed. But when they do happen, it makes perfect sense. Well, of course that happened. Well, why didn't you think of it before? Well, but now that it happened, it makes perfect sense that it happened. Those things have come come up in my life constantly. So post hoc modeling that you're not your modeling is not good enough to actually make predictions. Well, but it's, it's almost good like enough I, to uh, draw a narrative retro retroactively to say, of course, of course, this is where society would end up or whatever. It's almost as though the simulator is hearing all of my contingencies. And is aware of all of my, how is this conversation with the boss going to go and intentionally not having them happen, but then figuring out something that does fit the facts that I didn't see sometimes. I'm not saying that that is. We're supposed it's, to have one of these simulators inside our head. And the people who say the brain is a prediction machine and say, yeah, we are constantly running simulations of the external world in order to predict what happens next. And some of those simulations, predictions will be vindicated. Some will not, but that's what we do. We are modeling creatures. We are. And no one told us to do that. Humans all over the planet have named all the animals. They have named, they've named rocks. Can you believe it? We've actually named rocks. What mineral is it? 
how boring, how granular to name rocks. But all humans have done it, and no one told us to do it. You mean like naming your pet rock? Naming a kind of rock. <laughs> the geology, you I, know, it probably like, matters when you're when you're searching for the right I'm kind of gravel my rock for, under your road. Yeah. <laughs> Please, this is anthracite. This is bauxite. This is Bill. This is whoa, whoa, slow down. These other ones have these crazy Latin names. Why is that one Bill? It's a buddy of mine. Just thought it'd be cool to name this mineral. It's calcite. This is yeah. Type token distinction. You got to name the types and name the tokens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah name the universals and name the particulars. Yeah. I mean, if what's important about the essence of the individual rock is just its essence as its type, then I think probably the species would be okay. The individual would be okay with the species name, but... If it's Bill's wife, we've already established like particulars, then uh, mm-hmm. he should be giving her, giving her you know, a rock named Bill, a particular rock yep. named Bill. Yep. Here, here is Bill. So, um, I'm okay with a type of rock being named after me as well. When you sneak out of the something. house at night, Bill, and want to put rocks so it looks like you're still in your bed, they have to be the same rocks every time. They can't be just the same type of rock. I, and if I leave it out in the rain and it erodes ever so slightly, is it still Bill? It's, it's not going to do the job. All right. So <laughs> to wind this up, David, now you've gone, you've sat with an hour with this nonsense. If philosophy wins, that means that you feel like if you just let me explain my position, it would have been much more clear to the listeners by now versus if improv wins that means well we got to have some extra fun and they can always go just listen to a lecture of mine so i did my job here what do you think i don't know look i I think we got some good philosophy but i think we mostly got that good philosophy out of the improv all right i'm thinking improv wins as Ah. a root in its own right and as a root to philosophy excellent thank you so much for humoring us and showing up to this an honor to talk to you again Super fun. Super fun. I certainly had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, this is a, this is a very distinctive philosophy experience. And I, yeah, I, I got some firsthand knowledge of what it is to simulate, which is hopefully going to be valuable. <laughs> All right. So long, listeners. Reality Thanks, Plus. everybody. Very good book. At a bookstore near you. Cheers. Hope you enjoyed the show. Get more at philosophyimprov.com. If you want to support the show and not have to hear any more commercials and get our post-game segments where Bill and I and sometimes guests will elaborate on some things that came up in the episode, reflect on the future, and share our recommendations in the philosophy and comedy worlds, you can see options to do that at philosophyimprov.com slash support. Thanks. Bankrupt. 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 Bankrupt.